Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. All practice is in vain if you do not first make the affirmation of the vow. All practice is in vain if you do not first make the affirmation of the vow. That's how Yamada Muon um, starts his book on the 10 ox herding pictures which is a commentary on 10 pictures of an ox herd and his journey to enlightenment. So what vow is that? It is the vow never to give up until you have become a Buddha and brought peace to the world. The vow never to give up until you've become a Buddha or brought peace or and brought peace to the world. Pure land Buddhism says that we're not saved by the Buddha's Sartori or even the Buddha's teachings. We are saved by his original vow to bring peace to the world. Just as we are not saved by Jesus's teachings, we are saved by his original vow to bring peace to the world to bring salvation to the world. We're not saved by Jesus' enlightened state. We're saved by his commitment to bring salvation. And so in the same way, all our practice is in vain if we do not first make an affirmation of that vow. It comes before everything else. It is the number one priority. Just as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. To serve God in that way is to make the vow, to decide that above all other things, our allegiance is to the vow to serve God. Anything else is mammon, which translated is an object of false worship. If the vow is not the first thing, then all our practice is in vain. If our allegiance is not to God first, then eventually that which we're serving will ultimately be revealed. And I take comfort in that every week as I prepare these messages because there's only one way to prepare them. There's only one way to offer them. And there's only one way to receive them. And that is out of the original vow. Which is not to say that these words I have to offer have any special meaning or that they're any wiser than any other words you might hear elsewhere. It's just to say that they're written with that original vow in mind and that they're offered in the same way and they'll only have value if they're received out of that original vow. If you listen from any other perspective, these words will sound like dross. They'll seem delivered with insincerity and written with some ulterior motive in mind. Jesus often uses the phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And this really means that if you've prepared your mind 
with the vow to seek first the kingdom of heaven, then this will make sense to you and you'll be able to hear what Jesus is saying. If you've not taken that vow, then other, consider, other considerations will come in. But what about, but how can, but you said, and you'll miss the meaning. You know, we've had our troubles in the chapel recently, and the question arises, why would you listen to anything we have to say here, given our decision to suspend some of our chapel's activities that's caused pain and hurt? Well, there's an interesting quote from St. Augustine, who said, within the church, in the mystery of the Lord's body and blood, Holy Communion, nothing greater can be done by a good priest, nothing less can be done by an evil priest, because it's not by the merits of the consecrator that the sacrament is accomplished, but by the creator's words and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in talking about Holy Communion here, he's really saying that in performing our spiritual practice, i.e. in the case of the Holy Communion, the sanctity of the practice doesn't depend upon whether the priest is a good priest or a bad priest. What's important is the action of the Holy Spirit and its relationship to the practitioner's vow. What's important is the way that you do the practice not the sanctity of the means by which the practice is offered. In all practice, the key thing is the frame by which we do the practice. If the practice is done out of the context of the affirmation of the vow, out of that desire to serve, out of that desire to bring peace to the world, then the practice will have meaning however it's done and with whoever. Five minutes spent in earnest meditation out of the context of the original vow, out of the context of the desire to bring peace to the earth, is worth more than a lifetime of meditation done out of obligation or out of social conformity or as a way of getting something for ourselves. So what Yamada Maman is saying at the beginning of the journey to enlightenment is that it's our, out of our context that we set that value will be accrued from the practice. Those of you who've been through the S seminar will remember, are you willing to be willing to get value from the experience? It's the same sort of thing. The words I use here, the spirit with which they're written and offered, they're not what's important. What's important is the context by which you come to this present moment and the value that you decide that you will derive from it. This is the key to all practice. It's why Jesus warned against false prophets. It's why Lin Zawan came up with a famous phrase for his disciples of the ninth century, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. The idea being that we need to let go of our teachers in order to att attain true liberation. You set the context for your own liberation. 
the vow, the decision to love God rather than mammon is infinitely more important than whatever's going on around us. The level of pain and anguish that surround us as a community varies with circumstances. The pandemic, the election, the layoffs that have happened, all bring with them a degree of pain and anguish. They all bring with them a desire to blame and desire to offload. That hurt is quite natural. But it shouldn't take away from each of our individual responsibility to operate our practice out of the vow to bring peace to the earth. Our commitment to practice as a spiritual being within the contribution of the greater whole to which we make our contribution, that's what's important. So don't look out there at whatever chaos you see and use it as a way of not creating value from your practice. Don't be diverted by the pain that's around you in the, role, in the world. Our role here is to take that pain and to transform it, to see all that's going on with the pandemic, all that's going on with the election, with the chapel, and use it as a way of transforming the pain that it brings into a loving contribution to the world. It'll be particularly important during the period of Thanksgiving, when there's likely to be a greater absence than there will be a presence with people not being able to gather together. We can either see that pain as a source of loss, or we can see it as a way of bringing a greater sense of love to those who we are able to be with over the holidays. It's always us who sets the context, who operates out of that original vow, who turns base emotions to love. So you see, it's not about the words that I bring. To some extent, there's nothing more to say. What is important is the spirit with which we show up. And we showing up to get something that we've not got, or we showing up to remind ourselves that we've made a commitment and we're going to act out of that commitment. That's the choice. Is it showing up to get something or acting out of a commitment? And maybe we come to realize that we've not made that commitment, that we act, we're acting out of a stream of consciousness that will take us in one direction and then in another, depending upon the way circumstances fall, depending on how we see things or whether or not we judge things to be worthy of commitment or not. To make a commitment is to set down a line that says, I am here to bring peace no matter what the circumstances, no matter what's in front of me. I'll take it and use it to bring peace. To do that one, you know, to do that, one has to make the affirmation of the vow, to decide to serve God and not mammon. Now, if we were in, a, in an evangelical church, uh, we might say that, uh, it, you know, we're going to give our lives to the Lord. That's what that actually means. You know, have you given your life to the Lord, they ask. What that really means is, have you committed to the purposes of transformation? That old thing about 
commitment and breakfast. On our breakfast plate of bacon and eggs, the pig is committed, the chicken is not. Having that vow as the base point means that we don't drop it when things get rough. We don't make excuses for not keeping the vow. We don't blame and exact recriminations when things go wrong. You try and make peace. You bring love into a situation. To recognize that you've made the vow is a liberation. It enables you to be freed from the need to be right. To recognize you've not taken the vow is also liberation because it enables you to choose the vow or not. What you cannot do is pretend that you've taken the vow and then behave as if you've not taken the vow when it suits you. Well, you can do that, but then you shouldn't kid yourself that you're traveling down one road when in fact you're traveling down another. It's interesting that Yamada Mumon makes this statement in the terms of practice, because actually the vow is a function of practice. Yes, all practice is in vain if you don't first make the affirmation of the vow, but then again, all of us fail in our execution of the vow. Even Peter denied Jesus three times, having already acknowledged him as the Christ, and then he ran away, as a result of which he's said to have wept bitterly. We all find ourselves in those places where we weep bitterly because of something we've done or something that's been done to us. And it's at those moments that we practice the affirmation. None of us is at that stage of Buddhahood where we always act in an exemplary way. But we're all at a place where we can practice our affirmation of the vow if we feel we've not lived it out. I feel this very keenly in response to our having suspended our programs. I know I could have done more to prevent that happening. I know I could have made different decisions that would have resulted in different ends. I'm sorry that I didn't do more, and I'm sorry for what's happened, and I have to live with that. And in doing so, I have to go back to my practice, and I have to reaffirm my vow. I've been doing this for 40 years on this game. My motivation is not to make money, it's not to be popular, it's not to get things to go my way. My motivation has always been to allow myself to be a part of the transformation of consciousness that will serve the purpose of that greater mind, the ground of all being. Often, I don't get it right. Often, I get in the way. Often, I feel pain and often, I cause pain. When that happens, I come back to my practice and I reaffirm that vow. I adopt a beginner's mind. I try and reconnect with my purpose and start again. 
If any of you do feel hurt, do get in touch because I'd like to hear from you and hear of what you've got to say. As I said the other day, our mission and purpose here at the chapel remains the same, and we're looking at new ways of enacting them in the future. We're here to make sure that our community continues its work and that you are supported in the ways that you need to be supported. As with everything, this too shall pass, and we need to keep that in mind. We'll do everything we can to make sure that we're in a good position to start again once we have the chance. But don't let my flaws get in the way of your journey, your practice, your fulfillment of your vow. There's too much at stake in our world for us to be stopped by our own internal machinations. Thank you. Moment to sit with that, see what struck you, and just allow those words to settle in you however they do. And let's each of us bring to mind individuals in our lives who we know are suffering at the moment. And we give our hearts and our attention. To them, we send them our love, surround them with our love and presence. And as I go through these people now who've specifically asked us to pray for them, whether or not you know them, let's just give these people our attention and our love and pray for their healing. So all those right now suffering from the coronavirus, especially thinking of um, Belgium and Switzerland and the UK, Africa, just places where it's particularly bad and there's intense suffering. We pray for Rita Hunter with Lou Gehrig's disease, for Heather Morrow still recovering from a brain injury, for Brett McKenzie recovering from surgery, we still pray for the O'Keefe family, for William, for Bobby Carrillo after a brain aneurysm and for his wife Susie, for Kevin Bedalian with Lyme disease, for Petra Crimmel with cancer, for Marion, Carolyn Glay's mum, and for Jim Stark with stomach and esophageal cancer. And we pray for Wendy Gaylord's sister, Laurie. <coughs> for Ashley Morse, Heather Rydell's daughter, working in a hospital in Denver. For Kelly, Shelley Bogart's daughter. For Tom Troger with cancer. And for Joan Devlin, hospitalized with a brain illness. So we just lift up all these people, send our love and our presence, pray for their healing. And just for a moment, let's extend that love to all corners of the world. Think especially of that earthquake in Turkey, all the suffering there and those 
trying to rescue people, the typhoon in the Philippines. And in these next days, as we come up towards the election, may we be just filled with peace and with love. And as it says at the end of Micah in the Old Testament, that we might all act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. Amen. Thank you, Heather. Um, we're going to have an offertory now. Um, if you're here in the room, there's a plate over here uh, you can use if you're at home. Uh, there are various donate buttons all over the place, and um, we're going to hear some more lovely music now. So, any, any thoughts from, um, uh, from what I was saying? Well, of course, the, the main question it makes me ask myself is, what is my vow? Yeah. And am I being true to it? Am I living it? Um, and it reminds me of that, uh, of Jim Finley, who said, I will not break faith with my awakened heart. Yeah. I, I just love that. I will not break faith with my awakened heart. And I, you know, in the same way, I, I will not break faith with, with my vow. And what, what is that? How can I live into that and be more committed to that in, in spite of whatever is going down in my life, you know, kind of thing? For me, it's... I, I said a while ago that I thought, you know, what, what, you know, the Holy Grail really is to have a robust worldview. And, and really, if you have a robust worldview, then it can contain anything. And I just think that that, that original vow is the beginning of that robust worldview, that, you know, whether or not you get a diagnosis, you know, whatever goes on, if you hold that within the idea of service, within the idea of, of, of bringing peace, as, as it's put, then anything that comes along, you have a way of dealing with that. Yeah. And I've, I, I like to, uh, in, uh, like, imagine it as, like, sinking ever deeper into it, like a, a deeper inner aliveness yeah. in me and around me, and an aliveness that's, that contains all history, all past, pe present, and future, like, a, like I said at the beginning, like a, um, a coherence with a capital C that's just so containing and robust and reliable. Yeah. And it's within that context of, of hope that we, that we can place our lives, and that's just so strengthening. Yeah. Does anybody here want to say anything? I'll repeat it if you want to put your hand up. If not, totally fine. I mean, one of the things that I think is that, you know, pain deepens our commitment to the vow as well. It tests the commitment to the vow. You know, when we you know, have gone through the death of a loved one or, or something like that, to be able to rest within it at that point means that you know you can go to that depth and you come out of that knowing that even that you've been hurt at that level, then still you're able to be within the context of a loving um, order. Yeah, and as we, I think we were saying a couple of weeks ago, to, to think of um, like if we can do that, if we, if, we can, if we can put ourselves inside this silence that's like a, an ever-faithful companion presence that supports us in yeah. that. Great. We have our first thing. When, when is Gosevi? Just to shout it out when you take the mask off, shout it out, and I'll uh, repeat it. What struck me was when you said, don't let my imperfections get in the way. What struck her was when, when I said, don't let my perfections get in the way. This is for the audience. His perfections. 
Sorry? Imperfections. Oh, yeah, don't let my... I'm very glad you pointed that out, Wendy. Uh, yet another imperfection in my, in my delivery. Thank you. Uh, and, and realizing, because this coherence is about connection with others, how much what others do impacts our feeling and how hard it is when others do things that we don't feel at peace with that we forget are about. So what she's saying is that, that you know, with our connection with, with everybody else, you know, how much more that uh, when something comes into us and hurts our feelings, you know, we feel that deeply and then that enables us to, to link into our vow. I think you said that. Thank you. Yeah, we should get a mic for now, but actually I'll have to repeat this because then we'd have to move around the room. But thank you, Wendy, for, for saying that. Yeah, just deepening into our own vow, not being too defined by any, anything or anyone. And it reminds me, so this morning, this morning when I was thinking about this, um, service. This poem from, by David White popped into my head. Yeah. Do we have time for me We've to quickly read it? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I just think this this poem kind of says, I think, what we're saying here. It's called Start Close In by David White. Start close in. Don't take the second step or the third. Start with the first thing close in, the step you don't want to take. Start with the ground you know the pale ground beneath your feet, your own way to begin the conversation. Start with your own question. Give up on other people's questions. Don't let them smother something simple. To hear another's voice, follow your own voice. Wait until that voice becomes an intimate private ear that can really listen to another. Start right now. Take a small step you can call your own. Don't follow someone else's heroics. Be humble and focused. Start close in. Don't mistake that other for your own. Start close in. Don't take the second step or the third. Start with the first thing close in, the step you don't want to take. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.